0: It's been a great morning so far, except one major disappointment. You know, Alan read out of the Psalms about dancing to the Lord and one of the thing about leaders they're supposed to lead by example. And uh I, I was I was watching, you know. <laughs> you know, uh in the testimonies we heard, one testimony having to do with problems with uh False prophet. False prophet. <laughs> I'll get him. I'll get him. <laughs> I, I was just taking you at your word, mate. <laughs> but uh, the testimonies we heard, we heard one about uh, uh, probable problems uh, having children, but also someone healed of uh, epilepsy and seizures. I talked with somebody yesterday. I don't know if she's here, but well, I think the last time I was here, uh, five years ago, prayed for her, and she stopped having seizures from that time on, and just maybe a month or two ago. So um, we want to pray for you right now. Uh, in Revelation, it says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Testimonies are contagious in that they impart faith. There's an anointing upon them. And so uh, as we pray for you, the uh, Am I right that you did not have any seizures for several years, number of years, and then just recently you, you've had one? So uh, we want to pray for anybody here that has any sort of, could be epilepsy or anything neurologically related that might cause seizures or something along those lines. But as well, if you're a married couple and you're having problems having children or maybe you're pregnant right now, but you've been hearing some warning from the doctors or uh, maybe you've been told you can't have children, and you want to have children. Does that apply to you, Alan? Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh if that's you, either of those two categories, would you stand right now? Okay. Right. If uh you're a Christian and you're near these people standing up, just get near them and stretch a hand of blessing to them. Father, we want to thank you in the name of Jesus that you are Jehovah Rapha. You're the Lord God who heals us. Lord, and I thank you for your promise in Psalm, I think it's 103, that you not only forgive all of our iniquities, but you heal us of all of your afflictions, Lord, our afflictions, Lord God. So I ask right now whether people are standing up for neurological issues or Married couple, uh, uh, having problems with having children or with a pregnancy. Lord, let your healing miracle power come upon them right now. We ask it in Jesus' name. And we bless your neurological systems to be renewed, how the brain works, the firing of the synapses and the wiring of the brain. We just speak restoration in the name of Jesus, healing to you, divine restoration And we just say that what's sometimes impossible for man, medicine, technology, science, is never a challenge for God. We speak an impartation of faith, but we speak an impartation of God's healing miracle power upon your systems, and we bless those couples to be able to have children with no issues whatsoever. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I want to uh, give a message that over the last I don't know five years, I've on occasion um, I can't. I don't know how many churches I'm with every year. Um, internationally, I'm uh, on average I'm on the road about 120 days a year, 140. About average, about 10 to 12 days a month with many different churches. And I've given this uh, message a few times as I felt like the Lord has told me to do it. Uh, but I, I feel like this morning the Lord has uh, told me to dive into this, and I want to talk about the call upon each of us, but upon you as a church, to pioneer. And, you know, uh, typically we think about pioneering, we think about, you know, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, going to a strange place, and, you know, that's uninhabitable, where there's a lot of hostilities, and, paving the way overcoming incredible odds well it's not so much god is calling us to go to a different continent or a different territory but within our own lives the bible tells us that we're to go from glory to glory in the psalms it says from strength to strength i'd like to say from breakthrough to breakthrough but also if you've been here the last couple of nights i've shared out of 1st uh, corinthians 2:9 That for those who love God, he has more for us than our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, more than we can begin to understand. And I'm convinced that most human beings, including most Christians, we shortchange ourselves and we even shortchange God by we reach a certain level of fruitfulness, a certain level of life, and we think this is it. But when it says in the Psalms that fearfully and wonderfully did God create us, there are gifts and talents within us that I believe are only partially developed. In fact, I believe many of us have gifts and talents that we've never really come to grips with. And so, you know, I, I shared the other day that at, at my age, you know, I have a, a number of friends that are talking about either retiring or semi-retirement, and I'm thinking that's crazy. I'm just barely starting to get good at what God called me to do. Has called me to do. And I'm looking at the next 15, 20 years as pioneering, stepping into new things. So we're not necessarily talking about you going to the ends of the earth, although that might be true to some of you if you go on missions or whatever in your career. But I believe for many of you, there's gifts, talents, abilities within you. That God wants to give us wisdom, and he even wants to give us a boldness, a courage to step out and try new things. But I'm, I'm also giving this message not just for you as individuals, but for you as a church. I believe you are, you know, just as that last testimony uh, had that word about breakthrough summer for uh, that couple. But I believe as a church, you're in a breakthrough season, not just coming into a new building, but a whole nother level of fruitfulness and impact on the region. I'm glad one of you is encouraged, and he's one of the elders. He has to be vocal. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, read, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes the times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells within him. He changes the times and seasons. Back in the uh, the 80s, uh, I listened to a lot of uh, on the alternative rock scene, a lot of different groups internationally. But there was one group from uh, Scotland that had a line in a song that I've never forgotten. I thought somebody would say hallelujah for Scotland, but here we go. Maybe you're not all fans of haggis here. but they had a line in one of their songs that went like this. In life, the choice is to change or to be changed. And I've found over the decades that is so true. We think we're always going to stay the same. We think things are always going to be constant, but that's not how life is. Life is involving changing, responding to God, growing the ways of Christ, Uh, growing in the ways of loving one another, but also coming at the potential with which God created us. Either that, or we're going stagnant. We're like a pool, you know, and Jesus talked about streams of living water will flow when we're most being. We're like a pool, that either there's fresh water coming down the mountain, and then fresh water in turn going out of us, or else after a while we begin to grow stagnant, and eventually to dry up. But nothing stays the same. God is the God of the times and seasons. I already referred to 1 Corinthians 2 9. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what or all that God has prepared for those who love Him. And that promise is not just for the sweet by and by when you get to heaven, but it's for the dirty now and now. And this thing that we call Christianity, it's learning to love God, learning to walk in the ways of God, learning to love one another. But I believe it's also learning to unpack the richness of God's will for our lives and coming into the fullness, the fruitfulness that God created us for. Pioneering, it means breaking through into uncharted territory and making it a habitat for others to follow. Well, you know, I'm from the United States, and we have this uh, long history of the last 400 years or so of first people coming and pioneering on the East Coast United States and migrating to the Midwest and pioneering. And we have all these people that are great American heroes you've never heard of, like Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. Did you ever hear about them at all? Okay. You know, and when I was a kid, I had a coonskin cap because I wanted to be like Davy Crockett. But anyway... We won't, we won't spend any time on that. But biblically, we can think about people like Abraham and Sarah that left the land that they knew, and they on completely uncharted territory based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit, and eventually came to what we call today Israel. We can think about Moses leading the people out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, leading them to the Jordan River, towards the edge of the Promised Land, out of slavery into freedom. We can think of, you know, Jesus, obviously, leaving the right hand of the Father. He was worshipped by the angels, coming and being born as a helpless baby, but ushering in the kingdom of God. We can think of Hudson Taylor, an Englishman, that in 1854 left everything he knew and, based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit, went to China and founded one of the greatest missionary works Of all time. In fact, there are still some people alive today in the underground church in China that can trace their spiritual heritage straight back to that Englishman, Hudson Taylor. A couple of people we think of in the secular realm. Uh, One is uh, one of the greatest American athletes of all time. I'll talk a little bit. His name was Jackie Robinson, or the incredible American uh, pilot, Chuck Yeager, that I'll talk about doing things that had never been done before. The call upon each of us as we walk with God is to become increasingly fruitful in life and for the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John 15, 8, By this they will know you are my disciples. He said, uh, This is the world. I'm confusing things. It's For me, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning right now, so I'm doing pretty good up to this point. <laughs> But uh, Jesus said in John 15, 8, but This is the will of my Father, that you bear much fruit, not just a little bit of fruit, not just survive, but bear much fruit, and so prove to me, my disciples. And that fruit in our lives, it's to be continuing as we walk with God and experience his grace and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I love also what Paul said in Ephesians three twenty and 21, Give glory to the one who can do far more, say far more, give glory to the one who can do far more than you can think or ask according to his power, the power of the Holy Spirit that works through you. So since you're so excited, I'm going to give you five keys to pioneer breakthrough living. First of all, listening all of your life to the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest tragedies, I think, is when we reach a certain level of fruitfulness, a certain level of success, and we begin to camp out at that place. You know, in the 1970s, the Swiss watchmaking industry, they manufactured over 80 to 85% of all watches in the world. And about that time, a research development company for one of those Swiss watchmaking companies, they came up with the LED-style watch. You didn't power it by winding up in a spring. It was all kind of uh, little computer chip in there now, but electronics and all of that. Well, what happened is they presented it to their watchmaking company. The board looked at it, and everybody said, Oh, this is great work, guys, but it'll never sell. It'll never sell. Because people want watches that you wind up. They want a traditional watch. And they didn't bother to patent it. And that year at an annual watchmaking convention, they put it on display. Well, there were two companies, Seiko in Japan, but also Texas Instruments in Texas. They saw it and they said, this is the future. Do you know within 15 years... The Swiss watchmaking industry went from making 80 to 85% of all the watches in the world to only 15% because they had the future in their hands, but they failed to see it. And oftentimes, in the love of God, he's bringing opportunities before us. He's opening doors. He's giving us prompting by the Holy Spirit, but... Sometimes we make the fatal mistake of camping out at yesterday's successes. And just as Jesus was led by the Spirit, in our lives we're to spend time listening to God, meditating upon the God, and, and even as Jesus spoke, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. He will lead you and guide you into all the truth the Father has for you, including his will for your lives. Um. I can think about, you know, in, uh, I, I came to the Lord many, many decades ago, <laughs> and uh, I came to the Lord in Southern California, kind of the tail end of the Jesus movement, and it was just an incredible time for evangelism because so many people were coming out of drugs to the Lord, uh, alternate lifestyles to the Lord, it was just an amazing time. But uh, I got going with the Lord, got involved in church leadership, began to do some teaching and preaching. And I had come to the Lord, and uh, we our church was influenced by the Jesus movement, but as more of an evangelical church, wasn't very open to the gifts of the Spirit. And then I got exposed to the gifts of the Spirit, and uh, got involved in a little bit, you know, of prophecy, a little bit. Uh, we uh, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues. But then we started learning about praying for the sick. And we weren't seeing a whole lot of sick people get healed, but we were really excited about this. And on my leadership team in my church, we were so excited about praying for the sick, we were almost praying for people in our church to get sick so we could practice on them on Sundays. And we were seeing like some bad backs getting healed, bad, bad knees, uh, bad headaches from too long of messages and things like that. But uh, we weren't seeing uh, creative miracles. There's a difference. Both miracles and healing, supernaturally, are from the Holy Spirit. But miracles are on a higher level. They require more authority because they involve God's recreative miracle power. A supernatural healing is something that over time would get better on its own. But when God releases his healing power, there's a divine acceleration that happens very quickly. But a miracle involves his recreative power, something that cannot be healed over time and not quite often through medicine and we just were not seeing god 's creative miracle power. We kept praying and praying and praying and seeking the Lord, and you know we just we just we begin to wonder, Lord, how can we can 't move into a higher level here and one Sunday morning, <clears throat> as church was winding down, a lady about i don 't know twenty five twenty eight came up to me and she said, my mother is in the hospital, her colon is destroyed by cancer, and they're gonna do an operation tonight. They're scheduled about six, seven to start this operation. And, uh, you know, and, and this was, you know, way back when. This was about 1980, 81 now. And uh, at that time, as far as I know, they were not able to do uh, what they call today reversible colostomies, all that sort of thing. So she was going to be stuck with the plastic bag for the rest of her life and have to exchange that every few years. So this is a life-changing thing, obviously. And she said "It's just, her colon's destroyed by cancer. Would you come to the hospital and pray that God would do a miracle uh, before they began to prep her for the operation? So in in my heart of heart, I felt like the Lord said, yeah, I want you to go. So I arranged for two friends and I to meet her at the hospital about four o'clock. And I went home from church and I spent an hour and a half just ardently seeking the Lord. I said, oh God, you know, we've seen you heal a few bad knees, bad backs, but we have not seen a creative miracle how are we supposed to do this? Are we supposed to rebuke the cancer in the name of Jesus? Are we just supposed to quietly pray for her? Are we just supposed to, you know, what are we supposed to do? And you know, God is so kind and encouraging and all of that. He didn't say anything. He just said, go. And so we got to the hospital room and uh, uh, meet the, the mother, you know, and she's glad we're there. But we don't have a clue as to what we're doing here. And uh, I remembered hearing a teaching that, uh, you know, when you pray for people in hospital rooms, first rebuke the spirit of residence, which is usually a spirit of sickness and death. You know, it's not like people go for, for uh, birthday celebrations to hospitals, right? So we uh, did that. And then without thinking about, it, I said, Holy spirit, would you please come and fill this room with your glory and grace? And, Bam, something happened that at that time we had never experienced before. A little bit of the actual glory of God filled that room. The kebab, the weight of God's presence was there. Instantly, we were very aware of the holiness of God, the majesty of Christ, the power of the Lord. And my two friends and I, we got literally got down our knees and worshipped the Lord for about 20 minutes. It was just such a heavy presence of the Lord. And uh, this heaviness, after a while, lifted, we stood up, and then we prayed briefly for the woman. Uh, not a very long prayer, and I, I looked at her, and I said, you know, God has been here, and his manifest presence has been here. Whatever he's going to do, he's done. And uh, we left, and the daughter called me up early the next morning. They started the operation. They began to open her up to remove the colon, but they were shocked when they saw the colon, there was no cancer whatsoever. It was in perfect condition. They rapidly uh, sewed her back up. You know, this is California where everybody's scared to death of a lawsuit, you know. Uh, so I don't know what the doctors thought of all of that. But that was one of the greatest lessons I've ever had about serving God and life in the kingdom. It's not so much what we know, but it's who we know. And... We're called to be continual students of the person of God, listening to the Holy Spirit as well as his word. The second key for breakthrough pioneer living, you're going to love this, it's honoring God's delegated authority. In the Western world nation since the 1960s, we have increasingly become an anti-authority people. We don't like anybody telling us what's up. Not with the government. Well, actually, today people do like the air Town, But that's another message. But, uh, you know, we, we, we don't like anyone telling us if we're messing up, if we're out of line here or there. We just want to make everybody feel comfortable with the false comfort. I mean, you know, the reality is, what kind of oncologist would it be if you began to have pains in part of your body and you went to him? And he did tests and he found cancer, but he didn't want to tell you had cancer because he didn't want to upset you. We would say that's a terrible doctor, but we've got to be that part of a society. We cling to a false comfort, and, and it ends up, in many ways, dishonoring authority. We just want to do what we want to do. Um, I refer to Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson made absolute history in the United States in 1947. Jackie Robinson was an African-American, and up to that time, in the major leagues of baseball, you know, baseball's kind of like cricket, except it only lasts about two or three hours, not two or three days. It's like a friend of mine said, he went to a cricket match one time, he couldn't tell when it started or when it ended. And That's about all I'll say there. But but, uh, African-Americans were not allowed to play in the major leagues of football, baseball, basketball, but the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, he saw the future, and he was jealous for his team to be the best. And Jackie Robinson, that played in what they called the Negro League at that time, was just this amazing, amazing athlete. Jackie Robinson had also been a, um, uh, in the Army in World War II. He was just an all-around a man's man. And so the story goes that in 1947, the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, a man by the name of Branch uh, Rickey, he uh, flew him out from Los Angeles to Brooklyn, New York, and he met with them there at the office, and he said, I want you to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And nothing like this had ha- ever happened before with African Americans. But Brooke, uh, Branch Rickey said to him, you need to know... With all the racism that's out there, the very first time you step on the field, you're going to have all sorts of names yelled at you. You're probably going to have death threats made against you. You're going to face all sorts of antagonism. And he said, but I don't want you to fight back. And Jackie Robinson looked at him and said, you want to hire someone to play baseball for you who's a coward? And he said, no. I want someone to play baseball for me who has the courage to not fight back. Jackie Robinson was a man's man. He'd been, as I said, he'd been in the Army in World War II, fought in uh, Europe against the Nazis. He was this great athlete. He was not afraid to mix it up. He was not afraid to go toe-to-toe with somebody. But Ranch Rickey realized that if he had responded to the racial taunts and threats that were going to come at him, all the racists were out there. We're going to say, yeah, we knew you couldn't do it. We knew you couldn't handle the pressure. And so uh, uh, Jackie Robinson processed this, and he said, you're right. And what happened was he paved the way. He pioneered. And I just want to uh, read you just for a second uh, some of the history he ended up uh, making. And I realize you all love American baseball, so you'll indul- indulge me here. But during his 10-year Major League Baseball career, Jackie Robinson won the inaugural Rookie of the Year Award in 1947, was an all-star for six consecutive seasons, won the National League Most Valuable Player Award in 1949, and he played in six World Series, including the Dodgers winning in 1955. His number, number 42, once a year... On the the day he was hired, every single major league baseball player of every team wears a jersey that says 42 in honor of him. But the greatest thing was what he pioneered for others. Within just a few years, especially starting in baseball, but all the other sports, African Americans were hired. He paved the way, and, you know... But the point is, he had to learn in his heart of hearts, even though he was a very tough, strong individual, he had to learn a new way of responding to adversity. And oftentimes what prohibits us from growing into the greater things God has for us is we camp out at a certain level of maturity and we refuse to stay students of the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and particularly when it comes to honoring authority. I am a, a passionate sport motorcyclist. I've done track days, I've taken racing lessons, things like that. And in Southern California, where I live We have a lot of great mountains to get up with a lot of great curves to uh, wrap your bike around. And I had a revelation years ago that when you see a, a sign approaching a corner, a tight curve that says 25 miles per hour, maybe that's, I don't know, 40 kilometers an hour, that that sign was put there for cars, not for motorcycles. My problem has been I've encountered four policemen who have not had that revelation. <laughs> Every time, and what I'm about to say, you just drives my wife crazy. Every time I've been pulled over for the police, I, when they approach me and they ask that magic question, sir, do you know why I've pulled you over? I say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I absolutely know why you've pulled me over. And I have my license, my registration, my insurance papers in hand. And every time, I've been let off with a warning. The last time I got pulled over, about a month after that, I was sitting at LAX International Airport flying off to Asia... And I'm sitting there at a layover, and someone leaves a, a copy of the Los Angeles Times newspaper there, so I picked up started reading it. Lo and behold, I come across an article woman, written by a woman police officer about what to do when you're pulled over by the police. I thought, bingo, I need to read this. And she said, even I, a police officer, when I'm in my plain clothes driving my own car, if I end up being pulled over by a police officer, I'm nervous. It's our human nature to be nervous in those situations. But she said, I and most of the officers I know, now this may not be true in Britain, I don't know, but she said, I and most of the officers I know were actually looking for reasons to just give a person a warning, just just let them off lightly. But if people argue with us, if they become hostile to us, If they begin to give us lip, we look for excuse to give them everything we can possibly give them to write them up and throw them in jail for the rest of their lives. Well, she didn't say that. But you see, even police officers, and obviously, you know, there's uh, uh, people in all areas of authority that sometimes misuse authority and become abusive, things like that. But the Bible tells us to honor authority. They've been put there for a purpose. And I have seen so many men and women in the body of Christ really fail to grow in their God-given destiny because they refuse to honor authority. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you, not me. <laughs> There's a story in... Uh, actually, I'm going to turn to it if you've got your Bibles there. Turn to 2 Samuel. Uh, where are we at here? 2 Samuel chapter 18. And I want to quickly relate the importance of honoring authority. Because this is, we, we, you know, not you, but the person next to you. You know, there's so much pride, you know, in life. We just want to do what we want to do. And what has happened here, if you know the history of King David, His son Absalom pulled a coup against him and stole the heart of a lot of the army and the city of Jerusalem. And David, with a small portion of the army, had to run, flee for his life. And Joab, who was the commander of David's troops, went with them. And they found kind of like a mountain stronghold, a safe, secure area to leave David in. And then Joab, with the troops that were still loyal to David, went into a, a plain, a valley, a battlefield, and confronted um, uh, Absalom and the rest of the troops. And Joab and the smaller army loyal to David, they actually won the battle, won the day. And in those days, you know, uh, how they communicated over long distance, they had official runners. Those run, you know, we think a marathon, 26 miles, whatever there is in kilometer. Those official runners, they could run two or three marathons nonstop. They were just incredible. They were the official messengers. And so it says in verse 19 of 2 Samuel 18, Then Ahimez, the son of Zadok, said, To Joab, let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You are not to carry news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news. So I want you to hold on to that. Joab did not say to him, You will never run. You will never be a messenger, but just not today. And, you know, I have seen uh, in the body of Christ all over the world, from Cape Town, South Africa, to Helsinki, Finland, to Los Angeles, to Toronto, I've seen very gifted men and women that have so much potential and aptitude, God-given abilities in their life, but they only reach a certain level of breakthrough, a certain level of promotion, however you want to look upon that, a certain level of fruitfulness, is because... They are anti-authority in their heart of hearts. Could be anti-authority to a boss, an employer. Could be anti-this. Could be anti-a pastor, a leader. But you know what? The reality is, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not, we all need people in our lives that from time to time can look at us and say, I love you, but you've got some issues to work out. And sometimes... God makes us wait, even though we may have a burning vision within us that may we know is God-given. We see the training, we see the potential, we say, now is my time. But sometimes there's people around who say, you will have your time, but not yet. And if we run prematurely, we can mess that up. And so uh, Joab turned to the official messenger uh, that they called the Cushite said in verse 21, go, run to the king, give him the news. But in verse 22, then Amahaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, why will you run, my son, seeing that you will have no reward for the news? But he said, come what may, I will run. So Joab said, well, go ahead and run. And I can tell you, pastorally speaking, that so many times over the last 30, 40 years in ministry, there's been someone we've discipled, someone that we've mentored, someone that we've raised up. And this is, now is my time. And we say, yes, I see the calling. Yes, I see the call of God. Yes, I see the aptitude. But there's a few things God wants to teach you and train you. They say, no, I'm going to do it now. And you just can't stop people. You can't control people. You know, God doesn't call us to do that. Well, what happened was, this young man that Joab said, you will run, but not today. He actually was such a gifted runner, even though the official muster had a head start, he caught up with them and passed him, and he got to David first. And he said, your highness, you've won the day. The kingdom's restored to you. But see, that was just half the news. Because even though Absalom had brought a rebellion, David still had a love for his son, and said, well, how was it gone with my son Absalom? And he said, I don't know. And David said to him, stand over here and be still. And then the official messenger came, and he said, your highness, the kingdom's restored to you. And he said, how was it with my son Absalom? And he said, your highness, I'm sorry, your son is dead. He had the full news. And the point is that sometimes... We only have a part of what God wants us to carry. This could be your career, it could be your ministry, it could be relationships. You know, uh, one thing I know about my life, I've always been a slow learner. If other people, kids in school got things at nine years old, I got them really good when I'd be 11 or 12 years old. I've always been a slow learner, and you know, when I was about uh, 21, 22, uh, in the Christian circles I was in, I had about five or six good friends, were all in varying levels of leadership in a couple of different churches, all my friends were getting married. And, uh, you know, what was even more frustrating was some of them married the very girls I had dated. <laughs> after a month or two, jumped, dropped me and dated these other guys that got married. After a while, I began to think, what am I, chopped liver, you know? And, you know, <laughs> I ended up getting married about four or five years after most of my friends. But I could tell you that at that time, I had no idea that the Lord would have me traveling, you know, 120, 140 days uh, a year, and I've been doing this uh, for 41 years now. I started when I was three years old. But I can tell you what my, when I look at my uh, my family, my three children, my two daughters that are now about 35 and 33. My second daughter getting married in a couple of months, and my son, 28 years old. I look at how healthy our kids are. They all love the Lord, you know, and the blessings upon us. That God had me wait to meet a wife that was going to be perfect for the stress of having a husband gone 120 days a year or more, 12 days a month. And I can tell you, there's been times when I've been on the other side of the world, my wife has had two kids to take care of and had to take the third to the emergency ward and just all sorts of things. There's been times, especially early on in ministry, when the finances weren't there to pay the mortgage into the month. And I'd be praying to the other side of the world. She'd be praying and said, okay, Lord, we're just going to trust you. And miraculously, God would do things. But although the other women that I had dated, the, the girls at that time, You know, they were godly young women. They had great personalities. They weren't bad looking. But, you know, uh, although they would have made in many sense a good wife, God had someone very specific. And it took a while for him to prepare me for her and her for me. And sometimes, you know, when uh, people are telling us, no, it's not time yet, we don't want to hear it. But sometimes it's exactly what we need to hear. Are you still alive? Great. I'm with the right church. Some churches hate that message. Not you. The third is believing God despite the outward situation. Proverbs 3.5 says, Lean not to understanding, but trust the Lord with all of your heart. When God is leading you in a specific area and wisdom is found in multitude of counselors, you've talked to people you trust to get spiritual wisdom and maybe mentors in that area, things like that, it could be that all the odds are against you, but you believe God, what you're seeing with the eyes of your heart, not the eyes of your head. Chuck Yeager. He was, of all the American Air Force pilots in World War II, he was the most successful by far. He shot down more Nazi airplanes than anybody else. They say that Chuck Yeager's secret was he had incredible eyesight. What most of us consider good eyesight is 2020. 20. He had like 2010. He could see at 20 feet what most of us can see at 10 feet. They say he could see Above the clouds, he could see sunlight glinting off an enemy aircraft 50 miles in the horizon. So he was always on top of the problems before it even got there. The parallel of that is do we have eyes to see in the spirit? Do we know the times and seasons God has us in? Well, World War II ended, of course, and in 1947, the United States Air Force gathered the best of the American airplane pilots to the Mojave Desert in California because they wanted to embark on an experimental program to break the sound barrier, some 760 miles per hour, depending upon you know, the humidity and the altitude, all that sort of thing. It had never been done before. And on top of that, they did not have the technology to make planes safe enough to travel that fast. And there's a word there that as God is moving you towards a breakthrough, you might not have the wherewithal right now to do what God's going to have you do. But as you go with him, you grow as you go. Mark, that was a brilliant point you just made. Do not be discouraged by the blank looks on those faces. Let me say that again, what God is calling you to do in the future, you might not be geared up, you might not be fit for right now, but as you go with God and by faith move towards that, you grow as you go. And so they literally had planes falling apart, rivets popping out, they had pilots die because they did not have the technology for the theory, but they kept building better and better planes. And Einstein's theory, and let me back up and say this, that as they got closer and closer and closer to uh, breaking the uh, sound barrier, there was greater and greater resistance. When God calls you to do things you've never done before, the closer you get to the threshold, the more resistance you will have. For two reasons. One, you're moving in uncharted territory. But two, the devil does not want you to be successful in life. And he will bring greater and greater resistance against you. And so all they had to go on in the face of this growing resistance was Einstein's theory of relativity. Einstein had postulated this theory that if the sound barrier could be broken, at that point all the resistance will be gone. That's all they had to go, a theory of man. Let me tell you what you have to go on. What was already referred to this morning is the promises of God. Some 3,000 verses of blessing the Bible that, as the worship leader said, are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. What you have to base your life in is far greater than a theory of man. It is rock solid for eternity. Three of you are excited. We're getting momentum here. So, one day Chuck Yeager was up in the latest and the greatest plane, and he's getting closer and closer, but he said the vibration was so dramatic, the whole plane was shaking so violently, it took both hands to hold on to the rudder, And he's calling down and says, it feels like everything's about to fall apart. And they call back and said, call it off, Chuck. They didn't want to lose another pilot, especially the great Chuck Yeager. They did not want to lose another plane. But Chuck Yeager believed in Einstein's theory, so he gave it even more gas. And then he called down a few minutes later and said, Einstein was right. All the resistance is gone. Today, all over the world, planes get up daily, you know and break the sound barrier. We don't think anything of it. But one person dared to break through based on a theory of man. But as I said, the promises of God, and as God said in the Old Testament, he's not a man that he should lie. They are absolute, and you can base your life on them. Fourth, we all need to learn that God's grace is more than sufficient. When God is calling you to do things you've never done before, you may think this is outside my personality, this is outside my skill set. You know, when I was about 23, 24 years old, I'd been a Christian for seven years at that point. I was involved in some areas of leadership. But when God made clear to me he wanted me to uh, have a career of preaching, I must have thought, God, you must really dislike me. Let me tell you why. In my school years, uh, my father, my father was actually in the Air Force. He was a test pilot and a fighter pilot. But we had moved nine times during my school years. And two or three of those moves had been in the middle of the school year. I don't know if you've ever moved in the middle of the school year, but it is rough. You are jo- one person here. It is, you are Johnny come lately, the new kid in the block. And I can remember on two of those times getting on fist fights. My first day of school. So number one, I'm an introvert by nature, which means don't ask me for a cup of coffee, you know, after the meeting tonight. No. But secondly, I was afraid of people. Uh so afraid of my peers that when I was in high school, like 9th, 10th grade, and I had to take mandatory speech class, there were several days when I was scheduled to give a speech, I would ditch school that day, I'd walk off from home saying, see you later mom, and I would just go hide out somewhere, I was scared to death of standing in front of people and speaking, and then the Lord called me to start preaching. And I can remember, you know, um, it didn't happen overnight, but about uh, seven or eight years after I'd begun our ministry, our international ministry, I'd end up preaching before a crowd of about 10,000 people. And I realized not only had God set me free from the fear of standing up in front of people— but I really enjoyed, I derived life and energy from talking to people about Jesus and the purposes of God for their life. And it is typical that the devil will try to wound you in the very area that God created you to excel. That's a good point, but you don't seem very impressed. Maybe I need to say it again. The devil will try to wound you, or has tried to wound you, in the very areas that God has created you to excel. The Apostle Paul, when he was praying against the ongoing persecution, he'd been beaten so many times, he'd been stoned, he'd been locked up. He'd gone through so much persecution. He prayed about that persecution, I believe, in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, 12. But he prayed, and the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you power, my power, is perfected in your weakness. Paul said this strange statement then, most gladly therefore will I rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That doesn't make any sense. We think about boasting, we think about boasting about our strengths, our accomplishments, our prowess, our abilities, but Paul said no, if I'm going to boast I'm going to boast about my weaknesses because my weaknesses are Give me reason to lean into God. One of the names in the Old Testament of God is El Shaddai, God Almighty. One of the ways you can think about El Shaddai is the God who will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And as God calls you to do things you've never done before, as he opens up doors and maybe some challenges, thinking, oh, I can't do that. But in your heart of hearts, you have that internal witness God is calling you and people around you saying, yeah, I I think I see this potential in you. As you work towards that, as you lean into God, you find he gives you grace, strength, the ability, the stamina to go forward. Eight of you are excited. We've got so much momentum here. The last thing I want to say about a key for pioneer breakthrough living is faithfulness. We live in a society today in the Western world, in cultures, that we do not value faithfulness. Not we, but the church meeting down the road. We put a low value on faithfulness in marriage, a low value on faithfulness to employers, employers to employees, and... We're just, we're, we're such a, a, a mixed up people. We're suffering so much from rejection. We're desperate for acceptance. We go from this to that and that to this. And there's very little stability in life. One of my main motorcycle riding partners in San Diego, a guy by the name of Chris George, he owns two car dealerships in East San Diego where we live at. And he says for the last 10 years, his biggest challenge is getting employees that want to go the distance. I say, what do you mean going the distance? And he said, we get a an new employee and we put him in a basic position there at the, at the, in sales or in the garage or whatever or maintenance, whatever. And they all want to be an executive within six months. And as we outlined to them, there's a process here of growing in ability, growing in responsibility. That's when the promotions come, and so many people just they just don't want that anymore. But you see, when Jesus, in the parable of the stewards and the talents in Matthew twenty-five, he put a great value on faithfulness. To the one um, uh, servant, the master had gone on this journey, he entrusted him with five talents. Now, talents at that time meant a measure of money, but let's say it's let's play in the English language. Say it's an ability God gives you. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, and to one he gave one. And he went on this long journey. And when he came back, he called for an account of those abilities. And this is actually a prophetic picture of the judging of the saints in heaven when God calls us into account for the abilities and opportunities he's given us. It's not a matter of getting into heaven. That's guaranteed because of Jesus. But it's a reward for what we've uh, we've served him in faithfulness. And so... He said to the one who'd given five to, what have you done with those five talents? And he said, master, I doubled it. Here's five more. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now here's more besides. And he said, now enter into the joy of your master. And then he called the one who'd given two talents to. He said, what did you do with those two talents? And he said, master, I doubled it. I gained two more. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. you faithful in a few things. Here's more besides. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one that you would him the one to. What have you done with it? Well, I, I didn't want to lose it, so I buried it in the dirt. But here it is, you know. I've polished it. It's nice and shiny for you. But he called him wicked and lazy. He said that you at least could have put in the bank. You've gotten interest on it. Now, Usually when this is preached on, they focused on, on the lazy or the fearful uh, servant. But I don't want to do that. I want to focus just for a moment on the one he'd given two talents to. It is so easy in life. No matter what area your career is, no matter what your ministry is, no matter what you try to do, there will always be somebody that seems better than you. There will always be somebody that seems to have a better personality, a better skill set, better opportunity, and on and on and on. And we think, oh, if only I had his personality, or only I had her opportunities, or this or that. But here's the point. That the master had said to the one with the five talents, you've been faithful in little, here's more besides. Now enter into the joy of your master." The one that only had two talents that gained two more, he received the same reward. You've been faithful a little, here's more besides in the joy of your master. He was not expecting the same level of return from the one that would given the two talents to the five. So, let's say in your lifetime you lead about 68 people the Lord Jesus Christ. You're standing at the judge and the saints, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Yeah, I've got my 68 souls. And then you realize that Billy Graham is right ahead of you in line, who's led his 68 million to the Lord, you know. All of a sudden, you know, but see, the deal is God has not given you the same calling, the same anointing, the same opportunity as Billy Graham. If you are faithful with what God gives you to do, no matter how you think you compare to somebody else, your reward is going to be great. The reward's the same. Five of you are excited. We, we've got varying levels of excitement with this message. Two traps which can rob you of pioneer living is allowing yesterday's good to rob you of tomorrow's great. I'll referred to that. But just to give you a scriptural reference... Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountaintop, and they behold Jesus in glory. And as well, Moses and Elijah, the two great heroes of the Hebrew people, are standing there talking with Jesus. Peter pipes up, and he says, Lord, it's good that we're here. Peter's saying, you know, that's not a bad meeting, you know, seeing Jesus in glory. But... Uh, he said, it's good that we're here. Let us build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and Elijah." See, what Peter wanted to do was to commemorate the event. But it says that while Peter was still speaking, a cloud came down that the father used to kind of personify himself. And the father spoke out of that to Peter. And he interrupted and said, Peter, this is my son. Listen to him. In other words, he was saying, Peter... I don't want you to make a monument to the breakthrough even of five minutes ago. Some of you have been in churches that may be in the 50s, 60s, 70s, whenever they had a massive move of the gospel, that they experienced huge revival. But some of them have made a monument to that time. And you walk in that church, you almost feel like you're in a spiritual museum, don't you? You see, God calls us every day of our life to stay current with the current. Internationally, over the last 40 years, I've had the privilege of being involved globally with five different revivals, ranging from Southeast Africa to Toronto, Canada, to California. I've been involved in some amazing things, but I want to tell you, although I can look back with excitement over what God did that time, my focus is on what's to come. I believe we're headed to one of the greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit in Western world nations that have ever happened before. And, you know, um, again, you know, so many of my contemporaries are talking about retiring. I'm thinking, baby, I'm not even in third year gear yet, you know. we got to crank this thing up. So we cannot allow yesterday's Good to rob us of tomorrow's great. And the other thing that I already mentioned is not comparing ourselves to other people. Realize that when God created you, just as David said in Psalm 139, he did, he did it in a fearful and wonderful way, meaning he created you with great intention and with great uniqueness. And it's a blessing to know if you get too unique, we have counseling to help you out. (laughs) He didn't create you to be like anybody else. He didn't create you to walk the exact path of anybody else. We live in this culture today that has such an unhealthy focus on conformity. But uh, God has created you to be a unique reflection. And so I can look at, you know, what God has had me do over the years. It greatly upset my, my mother... I, uh, my uncle that owned this big seafood business that my grandfather from Sicily had started in California in the 40s, and I was involved and I was working there as a teenager in the summers, and I uh, was working there while I was going to college, and they were expecting me to base my my whole life there, and and I, and I even I was thinking, you know, I can be in church leadership, but still make some really good money, you know, because I have a birthplace in this family. And then about a year after my wife and I were married, the Lord said, I want you to walk away from that because I'm going to be doing something different in your life and you're not going to be available to be here as much as you need to. Uh, that was a struggle because it was a good income, a great future promise of an income. My mother got angry with me. My, my uncle got a little bit frustrated with me. But my dad, the Air Force pilot, he wasn't even a Christian. He said, go for it, Mark. <laughs> he had that spirit of adventure. So pioneering, it's not just for you, it's for others. Because historically, as we think about a pioneer, they would go into a hostile foreign territory. They would kind of tame the territory and make it safe for others to follow and inhabit. We can think of, when was it? 1954, Oxford, England. The, I've told you these American stories, I had to throw you something about the UK, but uh, Oxford, England, for five decades, the leading track coaches in the world had been working with the fastest runners in the world to break the four-minute mile didn't happen in the 1910s, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. There were even a few track coaches who were thinking, maybe it's physically impossible. Maybe the human body, even a finely trained athlete, is just not capable of the resistance to break the four-minute mile. But then, as many of you know, in 1954, Roger Bannister... He broke it near Oxford, England. He ran it in like three minutes, 59 point something seconds. And we think, wow, that's incredible. No, here's what's incredible. His record only lasted 47 days. Within three months of him breaking the four minute mile, three other athletes actually beat him. Why? Why after decades of no one breaking it, one person breaks that and all of a sudden three more go on to break it shortly after? It's because when you have a testimony of overcoming odds in your life, not just the testimonies we heard today about physical healing, but when you have goals that you pray for, you work for, you train for, you give yourself to, and you break into the blessings of God, no matter how long it takes, that testimony is contagious It imparts faith. We can think of Mount Everest. So many uh, mountain climbers had died trying to climb it. But then in 1953, Edmund Hillary and Tenzi Norgue, the uh, Sherpa from the Himalayas, they climbed it. And now we think nothing. We hear stories all the time. You know, in America, I'm sure, same in England. We have high school athletes every year that break the four-minute while. Why? Because someone pioneered something. I was prophesying over a couple, I think, Friday night, but I want to, the phrase I gave him, I want to give to you as a church. It's time to put the adventure back into the venture of Christianity. In the career path God has for you, which will end up being your sphere of influence for the kingdom of God, your involvement in church, serving one another, growing in the spiritual gifts, growing in the unique talents and abilities that God has given you, he's calling you to pioneer, not just reach a certain level of financial success or a certain level of notoriety. I think one of the saddest things I've seen in the body of Christ in churches around the world a church will reach a point of maybe 500, 5,000, and they think we've arrived. No. We're called to go, as Paul said, from glory to glory. Or as David said, from strength to strength. Or as Mark DuPont likes to say, from breakthrough to breakthrough. So, there you go. Let's all stand. Across the street, sounds funny, across the street in the other building, um, I don't know if they have any of my books left, but one of my, the last book I wrote a few years ago is called Breakthrough in Times of Breakdown and is very appropriate for this time frame we're in in world history. But one of the other books that I know they do have a few copies of that I would strongly recommend is called Becoming the Friend of God because it's the heart of God that we not only know Him as our Heavenly Father, as our Lord and our Savior, But as Jesus said, a greater friend has no one than one who lays down his life. And when we come into a revelation that Jesus actually enjoys spending time with us day in, day out, 24-7, it's revolutionary as we learn that it's not just lifting our hands in church and doing the, the things we are supposed to do or need to do, but it's enjoying the presence of God. As Brother Lawrence called it, practicing the presence. So much of that is contingent upon understanding the friendship of God. So.